Yo, 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 yo. Test, test, can you hear me? This is A Little Spooky, podcast about things that spook us just a little bit. Things like aliens, cryptids, conspiracies. When you're scrolling through all of the streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, blah, 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 and you're just looking for something to watch, then you just decide to watch Death Note again. This is Everett. <laughs> and this is Colleen. That sounds spooky, though, because Death Note is great. I know, but I mean, it's like the fourth time I've watched it ever since it came out. I don't know. Yeah, you know. Colleen, do you know what time of year it is? Summer? Yeah. Do you know what that means? It's kind of hot out. It is very hot out. Fourth of July is over. So, I mean, that's like, you know, the major American holiday. And since that's passed, the next major holiday is Halloween. Oh, Jesus. And I swear, if you go to the stores in the next month, they're already going to have Halloween we, decorations out. Can we stop? You are the reason Just they keep inject, doing this. inject the serotonin into my veins and let me experience the spooky... You are the reason Christmas starts November 1st. You are, the, you are the reason people can't just enjoy the day today. It's it's about the hype-up experience leading then, up to the holiday. Yeah, but then don't you feel the crushing disappointment of the actual holiday? No, because then you just get yourself ready for the next oh, one. Jesus, you're killing me. You're killing me. Yeah, sorry. Dog. Anyways, so we are recording in the dark right now because it's... It's over 65 degrees, and that means Everett can't deal. Um, but also, this just adds to the spookiness for us, so maybe we'll get more in the mood for scaring the audience. Maybe. This so, is a, we're talking about a different kind of spooky. This is existential spooky. So the dark is perfect, because I can cry in a corner when we're done. Sure, I mean, you could do that in the light. I wouldn't have told anyone. Actually, what are we, what are we, I'm a, <laughs> what are we talking about? Today we are talking about something that has interested me for a very long time, interested me for a very long time, near-death experiences. It's not mm. something I have ever experienced. NDE. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start by asking you a question. I have not had an NDE. I, that's not what I was going to ask you. I feel like I, I should know if you've had one by now. We're married. The, the closest I've ever come is when we were at a concert, and I believe it was Starfucker. Oh, yeah, we did many, go to a Starfucker Many concert. a year ago, and we were right next to the, the speakers, and the bass was shaking me to my core so much that I nearly passed out. <laughs> That's the closest I've ever come. Okay, well, um, I'll add that to the list of types <laughs> of NDEs. My question for you was, what is heaven? Don't give me any of that, like, heaven is where Pokemon are real bullshit. No, I want your, I, like, white man in America version of heaven. I, I was going to say, heaven doesn't exist, Colleen. Yes, I, right. Well, we're about to talk about that. Does it? Doesn't it? You don't know. I, I don't know, and that's why I don't think it does. Well, but, okay, if I were to give my personal opinion, if heaven existed, mm -hmm. what it was, I don't think it's a mystical land where everyone congregates together and, like, it's the same for everyone. I think it's more of like a place you go to where it's personalized for you, whatever makes the individual happiest. Yeah, but who, who's per, like a god is personalizing it for you? No, it's more like taking the preferences from your own mind and you are experiencing what makes you happiest when you go beyond the veil. Okay, that's. In no way the answer I was looking for, but interesting <laughs> insight. A plus. <laughs> I wanted you to just give a description of the, what the, the average gates. person thinks. The pearly is. gates. Yes. Peter or whatever is waiting for you to let you through. Sure. Okay. Yes. In Western civilization. Sorry for cock blocking you. <laughs> no, no. I should have known it would happen. You're you. In Western civilization, we tend to have this, like, black and white, good and evil, heaven and hell sort of dichotomy. Binary system. Yes, where heaven is the place where good people go and experience happiness for all eternity, and hell is where, quote-unquote, bad people are punished. go. Yes, exactly. Now, because we've grown up around a bunch of wasps, 
white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Yeah, we have a wasp nest too, I think. We do, we do actually in the front yard, unrelated. Yeah, they're just trying to convert us. And... <laughs> they haven't gotten far, but they won't leave. No. <laughs> Anyways, we usually hear about near-death experiences being like a sense of peace and floating out of your body. And, you know, maybe you see a bright light and you see dead family members and you meet God, maybe. But that's also... And you feel blissfully, eternally blissful. That, that may be, like, how the movies and TV shows portray it, but I feel like since you're near death, it's always going to be a very bad experience because you're probably in pain. Well, have you ever heard anybody t talk about a near-death experience? Not personally. No, no, but you've read about them, right? People... Sure, yeah. The, the ones you read about generally... The story is, I floated out of my body and I saw myself and I felt a great sense of peace and I wandered towards the light. And as I was walking towards the light, family members who I have missed greeted me and welcomed me into heaven. And then, mm. you know, somebody told me it wasn't my time yet. So I was forced back onto earth. Sure. And all I want is to return to that blissful state. Like, that's what you generally hear, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, have you heard many different ones? No, it's always just like light at the end of the tunnel uh, yeah. type stuff. Maybe someone's there to guide you. Right. Sure. I mean, those stories, I mean, other than the fact that you're like dying, I guess, they're not spooky. They're they're actually kind of peaceful in general. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But. Well, actually, no, they're, no, because I, I do. I think for the most part, yes, you are correct. But I do remember reading a few where it's like. They're about to die and they're going through the tunnel or whatever. But instead of a light at the end of the tunnel, it's Ooh, like... Ooh, girl, we're going to get there. Okay. Calm down, I'm girlfriend. Not a, I'm not a girl, we about to get there. Yeah. Okay. But... <laughs> Use my he, him pronouns, please. <laughs> Sorry. Dude. Dude, we about to get there. All right. Okay. The concept of heaven and hell and angels and afterlife... It's not the same everywhere. No. Like, here in America, it's so ingrained that, like... Heaven is a white, puffy clouds full of angels and God and pearly gates. And hell is like a burning, eternal, sulfurous pit. Right. Like you even see it in, in comedy movies like Bruce Almighty. Or there's well, that, that, that's that about heaven and hell. But well, yeah. yes. No, I know. But I mean, it, it, they don't like spend a lot of time with exposition about this is heaven and this is hell. You show up in the white puffy clouds and everybody assumes you're in heaven. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then there's the good place, that TV show, where there's the good place and the bad place. And if you're good, you go to the good place. And if you're bad, you go to the bad place. Like, it's it's so ingrained, I think, in American culture in particular. I would even say just all of Western... Yes. Like, culture. Pop popular culture, anyways. Yeah, well, and doesn't even not... Like, not just pop culture, but, like, just ingrained in everyone's minds, even if you're not religious. Like, right. if you grew up in Spain or Germany, you're going to probably think along the same lines. Right. It's just, it's that, I guess, Christianity-based concept of heaven good, hell bad. Yeah. And just, like, monotheism in general, because there's usually good and bad. Right. Right. So, with that in mind, I have always had several questions about near-death experiences because if you only hear near-death experiences that are told to you by white Christians in Midwest America, you can kind of assume that the experience they had was probably some sort of brain activity activated by their, like, theistic religious beliefs that already existed in their brain mm -hmm. you know like it, it, it's entirely a like a mental phenomenon that occurs when you're I, dying i think along those lines yes. right but have there been people who have had experiences that are not happy because i've never read of them like until i did some of this research that is not something people talk about it's always, I saw God, or my grandma was there, and she hugged me, or whatever. Sure. Can I interject, then? Sure. I, I have heard, now, now that you have brought it up earlier, I have heard of negative near-death experiences where they see, like, something, like like a family member or an acquaintance or something where they're not on really good terms with, and, mm. like, they weren't very close to them, or maybe they had a negative relationship, and they see them 
in pain or being tortured. Oh. And it serves as like a an experience to like turn your life around. Interesting. So it's like the inverse. I did not read any of those. But we will get to the ones that there's there's three classifications and we'll get to them. My second question though is how does spiritual belief affect a near death experience? Because again, as we've belayed the point here at it's the heaven and hell. Most people are Christian. I mean, yeah, even like, if you're not Christian, the Christian popular culture idea of heaven and hell has permeated so much that right. that's just so, what it is. So what would happen to someone that practices like Hinduism or Buddhism? Yeah, if you didn't believe in heaven or hell, or as Christians believe or, it. Or like in a more, not binary system, but like there's many different realms. Like even Norse mythology there's like nine different realms instead of the two right so my question is if somebody who had absolutely no belief in heaven or hell in that like christian concept and they had that kind of near-death experience would that to you be kind of like a a point in its direction of it being real Protect like say somebody who was born on an island with absolutely no outside influence and they almost died and they came up like they came back to life and they explained to you like i saw this weird light and my family was there i, I it would definitely be very convincing and it would probably be very persuading but at the same time even if they have no prior knowledge of like a monotheistic religion and they're only used to what their culture says i feel like that's just something humans in general would want for a comforting reason I on think, death's door. Well, that's an interesting way to put it, that you kind of, that that's like ingrained in human genetics, the idea of an afterlife, a happy afterlife where your family goes. Right. And I'm, I mean, I'm talking a person who's stranded on a desert island as a baby and somehow was raised by wolves and well, survive. Well, right, but then they probably wouldn't see family. They would just see something that makes Wolves. them happy. <laughs> like their wolf mom, yeah. Well, my question is, what what kind of NDEs do people who don't experience the typical Christian type of religion, what kind of NDEs do they have? Do they have similar NDEs or do they have something completely different? You tell me. Well, we're about to find out. And then the third point question that I have is, if there are similarities, between every near-death experience that's ever occurred, does that indicate that there's truly some sort of afterlife? Or is it just some sort of, like, you know, human brains, electricity, sparking, dying thing? So those are the those are the questions that I was on a quest to answer. Let's figure it out. Right. Okay, so, I mean, the spooky part of this episode is the existential crisis you're going to find yourself in uh, if you keep thinking about this, because we might discover that hell is real. And, I mean, do you retain your consciousness after you die? And if you do, what if you don't go anywhere? And it also depends on your perspective, too. Like, if you're religious, it would be even more spooky to realize maybe there isn't an afterlife. Right. And if you're not religious and you assumed there wasn't one, it might be terrifying to realize there might be one. You might want to shape up. Who knows? I don't it's, know. It's not like anyone that doesn't have a religion is like instantly like a terrible yeah. person. <laughs> no, I know. I've always hated that argument. Like without religion, what makes you like not kill people all the time? <laughs> so let's start with a definition of near-death experience. A An near experience near death. Kind of. <laughs> a near-death experience is defined as... Quote, an unusual experience taking place on the brink of death and recounted by a person after recovery. Mm. I think that's a terrible definition. No. Because it it's doesn't pretty to the point. Well, it doesn't really encompass the spirit of an NDE. I mean, what what is the brink of death? I've had panic attacks where it felt like I was dying. I think it means literally about to die. Like you're But at what point? What's the point where you're like in a coma or something or well but you're not dying if you're in a coma necessarily just in a coma i feel like there has to be some sort of factor that would actually kill you but you majestically don't die well like you're hit by a car or something and you're about to die but then they resuscitate right i don't i just think that the brink of death is entirely subjective like well sure yeah can you be resuscitated do they do you have to assume this person is dead 
and can't be resuscitated and then they spontaneously come back to life. It doesn't make sense to me. So I turned to an expert, Dr. Jeffrey Long. He. My name Jeff. <laughs> he is the recognized world expert on near-death experiences. And he established the nonprofit, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation to study near-death experiences. Yes, I know this is a pseudoscience. And no, no, no. I wasn't even thinking that. I'm just thinking he founds a charity or like a research organization. I'm like, I wonder how much money he's making off of it. But anyway. I uh, went onto the website. It's like completely free. He like they write down every single story. It's like super fascinating. Oh, okay. So it, it is very research heavy. But again, this is not something that's often studied so this man is kind of yeah, your I mean, only quote-unquote authority on yeah, the matter i can definitely imagine it's hard to study because not everyone will experience this and even if you do like yeah how do you record well, similarities there's plenty between... of people who are going to laugh at you for taking it seriously i i imagine that scientists have more important things to think about like how to stop people from dying in the first place sure yeah. I don't know. But he is the the world expert as of right now. He considers people to be near death if they are so physically compromised that if their condition did not immediately improve, they would irreversibly die. They are generally unconscious and in many cases require resuscitation. Sure. So you're about to die, but you need help. So someone has to help you come back to life. Yes. You know what's interesting, though? The fact that he uses the phrase irreversibly die. Thinking, like, his whole thing is you do die. It's not a near-death experience. It's a death experience, and you happen to come back to I, life. What I got from that definition is you would die unless another variable came into play. So right. So if someone wasn't assisting. Yes. No, you're, that, that is what it is. I just think that the phrase irreversibly die is an interesting one. Because to me, death is pretty final. But apparently he you, thinks you he can be dead it. for several minutes and then be brought back to life. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes, you're right. Anyways. Near-death experiences are experienced by about 17% of people who nearly die, according to the Missouri State Medical Association. They have been reported by people of all ages, all religions, all professions, from faithful Christians to extremely staunch atheists. No two near-death experiences have ever been exactly the same, but there are so many similar characteristics between most of them. Take an out-of-body experience, for mm -hmm. example. Like, your consciousness floats out of your physical body. That... Tons of people experience that mystical light passing through a tunnel, intense, generally positive emotions, uh, seeing angels, encountering lost loved ones, and ultimately having to make a choice to return to their physical bodies on Earth. Right. I it's It's crazy to me that that is an experience shared between millions of people who have experienced this. Like, the, so many similar concepts. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think it's that surprising either, because think of how many people have sleep paralysis and have very similar things ah, with that. That is very true. So, to me, it's like something that is just part of the human condition. Sure. And entirely very well could be, if you're lame and don't want to think about cool things. I think it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I described as the typical NDE, isn't always the case. And I think the reason we hear about the more pleasant ones is people don't want to think about the fact that there's something other than heaven right. after death. I mean, if you believe in the existence of heaven, I feel like that automatically implies the existence of hell as well, right? Um, sure. Because yeah. otherwise it's just an afterlife where everybody goes. Yeah. It'd be like... A lot, a lot of like, like the Greek cultures thought that too. Like there's just an underworld. Right. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Um, Hades. Yeah. It, just where everybody goes when they die. There's... Mm -hmm. there's an, I don't know much about Greek mythology. Maybe there's some nope. sort of judgment. Nope. Nope. Okay. 
good, cool. So in that case, is it heaven? Is it hell? Whatever. It's an afterlife. But if you believe in a heaven, a good place where good people go, where you've experienced eternal bliss, there has to be an opposite, right? Mm. Unless that's, that's just, just a Western way yeah. of thinking. Right. But we're talking about westernized religion, kind of. So if if you experience a heavenly, happy, near-death experience, a lot of times people are going to be like, okay, well, better shape up because there must be an opposite and equal reaction. I Yeah, but at the same time, if you have a, a near-death experience and you experience pleasant thoughts and a potential paradise or heaven, then you already know you're on the right track, right? As of then, yeah. Right. Right. So the people who have experienced disturbing near-death experiences don't generally talk about them because they are so traumatic that... Traumatized. Yes, they are traumatized. <laughs> they don't... You don't want to relive the situation, re-die through the situation. Well, right. Yeah, like you have a second chance, basically. So if you're brought back from the brink of death, then you know you have to change your ways so you don't experience... Right, that's what hell. you assume is, like, you've done something wrong. Right. Potentially. Or... What if you have that disturbing NDE and you, that's it. You assume that's where you're going when you, when you die, no matter what. Sure, yeah. You would never want to die then. Nobody wants to die, but. Well. Disturbing NDEs, according to Dr. Jeffrey Long, are broken up generally into three categories. Inverse, void, and hellish. An inverse NDE basically takes all of like the pleasant concepts of the traditional near-death experience mm -hmm. but instead of feelings of euphoria like most people talk about or peace or calm you experience extreme terror so the missouri state medical association actually has examples so here here are some examples of an inverse nde a man nearly died after being thrown off of a horse he floated out of his body out-of-body experience, mm -hmm. and he could see the emergency medical technicians working on him from above. But instead of like, oh, interesting, they're trying to save me, he felt an intense sense of panic and dread, and he like shook the EMS people saying, put me, like, put me back in. I want to go back into my body, but right. obviously they couldn't hear him. Then he was like physically sucked towards a bright light, and he could see deceased family members standing on the other side of this bright light but they weren't happy they were just like staring at him and waiting for him to come in mm. with like very stern faces here's another one a woman in childbirth flew out of her body and into space at incredible speeds and instead of walking towards a light she was actually on like a collision course with it the light in this instance wasn't like light at the end of a tunnel. It was a huge fireball that engulfed her and burned her alive. And so then, like a star. Yes. Yeah, she was basically pretty much physically just thrown into space. Hmm. Another woman nearly died of hyperthermia and she began re-experiencing her entire life, which is something you hear about a lot. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, what do they say that is going or living through every moment of your life yeah. in like a blink of a second or something. But yeah. instead of like seeing, being peaceful about it or, you know, most people are like, oh, I saw my whole life flash before my eyes. She came back and experienced extreme depression for the rest of her life. Just. Yeah, I suppose it's very subjective because maybe after you are able to experience every moment of your life quickly. Like, what have I done? Like, mm -hmm. I, I haven't experienced life to the fullest or whatever. Right. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. On the surface, these don't seem that scary. I mean, they're scary when you think about them. But if you're if reading them to you, it's not like a horror story. Right. And it's like it's not like it's necessarily fear of like being punished. It's fear of just leaving this existence. You don't you just you just mm -hmm. don't want to die. Right. The th the thing that's scary about these is the emotional effects that happen afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people who have experienced an NDE say that it doesn't feel real. It feels more real than regular life. 
Right. So when you come back, it seems like it's like a simulation or something. Yes. It's like it. Everything was more clear, more like in effect, you're more alive than you were on Earth. Right. So that would be more disturbing when you get sucked back into this like slightly less realistic world. Right. And the the real world is so horrifying. Mm mm. Mm. The second type of disturbing NDE is The Void. It's a good movie. Yeah, it is. It is. Is that the one with the hospital? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one was good. I don't even like horror movies, but I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Anyways, go see that one if you're looking for a movie <laughs> wreck. The Void is pretty self-explanatory. It's blackness, desolation, isolation, n- nothingness forever. Essentially, when you're like, hey, you're an atheist. What do you what do you believe happens after you die? Just nothing. That that concept, though, if you're an atheist and you believe nothing happens after you die, you, your consciousness wouldn't be there. So nothing. Right, that's what I was going to say. I think the distinction is the 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 void, like the implication is you're still there. Your consciousness mm-hmm. is there, but there's nothing to experience. Correct. But other people would say your life is just over and you don't experience. Right. Anything. You're done. Yeah. Right. Well, here is an example of a void NDE. One woman who almost died in childbirth found herself flying out of her body, over the hospital, floating up and deep into empty space forever. Mm-hmm. There's no, she had no direction. There's no light, no ability to ground herself. Just, just a big empty void. Then she heard a voice in her head, like a giant booming entity that said she never actually existed. They allowed her to imagine her entire life, but the whole thing was just a practical joke to entertain them. Who is them? I don't know. When she tried to argue with this voice about like very detailed, specific facts of her life, like how could this possibly have been a joke? Like who could come up with these minute details? Uh, They just said none of that was real. This, what you see now, that's all there is. And then they left and she was in darkness for eternity. What felt like an eternity until she was sucked back into her body. That adds a lot of uh, credence to simulation theory. Mm-hmm. Like there's there is a creator, but it's basically just a game or like just a program. Like it's not real. You're just yeah. artificial intelligence, right? But the, I, that's horrifying to begin with. But the fact that they leave your consciousness and you have all of those memories and then you are told you're actually literally nothing, but we're going to leave your consciousness here to just suffer for all of eternity and complete loneliness after yeah. having experienced a, a life, quote unquote. It's like when you delete something on your computer, but you're just in the recycling bin. Yeah, forever. <laughs> I, that that one to me, like that keeps that, me up at night. Yeah, that one's a little more uh, frightening. To yes, me, that is a nightmare. Yeah, I, I that that for whatever reason seems more frightening to me than being tortured in hell for all eternity. Because at least there's something to experience. Yes, right. Even you, if it is you, pain. like you are real, you're experiencing something. This like you get no answers. Are you real? What are you? Where did you come from? You didn't experience a life, but it feels like you experienced a life. You have no form right now. What is consciousness? Forever. It's the worst. Mm -hmm. The least common type of distressing near-death experience is the hellish experience, which, again, fairly self-explanatory. These seem to follow the basic idea that we in Western society might have as hell. One experience that I read, there was a woman who attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Take note of that because I, in Christian beliefs, suicide is an unforgivable sin. Right. She attempted suicide. She floated out of her body, but instead of like being sucked up towards a light or through a tunnel, she was immediately vacuumed down. <laughs> You're going to hell, yeah. <laughs> to the entrance of a cave. And she saw things around the mouth of the cave that resembled humans, but were like ugly and grotesque. And she said they were extremely frightening and they sounded like they were being tormented and constantly in agony. And after seeing that, she was sucked back into her body. Mm-hmm. 
So to me, that seems kind of like a warning. Yeah, absolutely. But we're, we're giving you a second chance, but this is what you're heading towards sort right. of thing. It's like Dante's Inferno. Right. But that to me, again, it, it's, it's like an idea that was probably already in her head. Do you right. know what I mean? Absolutely. Like she felt so like too. she was doing something wrong. And so it was, was a. She was already in a negative space emotionally and mentally because of an attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. So I think any experience she may have on the brink of death would also be negative. Right. Right. So the aftermath of these hellish experiences, I mean, like all of the other ones, can be devastating. Like a, a pleasant near-death experience has changed like staunch atheists into extreme religious observers sure yeah but a disturbing nde always has the idea like you made it out this time but what happens when you do actually die like you're not gonna live forever like you have that memory of seeing what hell is forever and mm -hmm. you have no idea whether or not you're gonna be going back there that's true i yeah i guess it's just like a perspective thing because that's definitely one way to take it and if this were to happen to me and i experience a hellish type experience i feel like it would just be like maybe religion is real mm -hmm. so i need to you know become more religious or something so do, i don't go to hell right do whatever it is you weren't doing because what 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 do you have to lose? It turns out you're already going to hell, so you might as well try everything you can. Right. Who knows? I don't know. It just seems horrifying to me. So that answered my first question. Are there unpleasant NDEs? Answer, yes. People just don't talk about them because they are so traumatic to experience. Sure, yeah. Now, my second question. If you're not raised with those concepts... Of heaven and hell, black and white, good and evil. Just Christianity sort of ideas in general. What kind of NDEs would you have? Because as of right now, I my assumption is we have this idea of heaven and hell in our mind. Something happens in your brain electronically, electrically, sparks, whatever happens mm -hmm. as your brain is dying. And it pulls, you know concepts that you already have existing in your brain yeah. that's what it sounds like to me currently so what is an nde like for somebody who doesn't believe in western heaven or hell yeah like take ancient egyptians and we already talked about hades but they didn't have heaven or hell either you just crossed into an underworld so could they have experienced a near-death experience like did did people in ancient egypt have these experiences or is this a newer phenomenon that I can't answer, <laughs> oh. but it's just a question. Is the concept of a near-death experience, is that where the concept of an afterlife originated? Did somebody almost die and then, you know, be resuscitated and say, this is what I saw? And, you know, back, back in the day, people it, were like, oh. that's, you came back to life, you must have seen the afterlife. I think that's very possible yeah so people have ha been having near-death experiences for millennia potentially again not something we can no prove. but i think it's it's safe to assume so just because our version of humanity like w where our brains are now i've been around for a few thousand years right so right it's just it's interesting to think of if if one person had a near-death experience and that's where our entire basis of the concept of heaven and hell came from. That's weird to think about. That it could have just originated from one person's experience and just snowballed. I yeah. suppose that's how religion starts. Yeah, but pretty much. <laughs> so, non-Christian NDEs, what are they like? There were not that many um, studies of non western style ndes like most people that experience ndes and have had them recorded tend to be of that christian base sure yeah but there are quite a few hindu near-death experiences that are fascinating i did not i don't know much about the hindu religion i know there's it's not like a heaven hell 
type of dichotomy. You took a couple classes on Hinduism in college. I mean, I know you're not an expert, but I, you know more than I do. Yeah, I don't, I'm definitely not an expert, but I think the general idea is that they believe in reincarnation. So if you're good, you'll move up the ranks. Okay. If you're bad, you'll move down the ranks. And I think the general idea is... But all back onto the same earth? Yes. And it depends. There's different versions of it, too, depending on what area. Sure. And the, every, but, but I think the general idea, though, is they believe in more of a one entity where everyone is the same entity. Oh. And like you're just kind of cycling through different bodies or different sure. consciousnesses. But you're it's like more of a belief in like a one. Like everyone is the same. So like one soul. So my question to you, if you know the answer, is. Are there any stories about like what happens after you die? You know, like when Christians die, you go up to the head, the pearly gates and they see if your name is on the list to get into. Yeah, the yeah I'm sure there are stories. I just don't remember them. I just sure. know like if you are a shitty person, you'll, you, you know, you might be born as a cockroach or something. But if you're great and you keep moving up the ranks, you can eventually become one of the gods like Vishnu or Krishna. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. Well. Hindu near-death experiences are all very similar in the same way that Christian near-death experiences are. The general story for a Hindu near-death experience goes something like this. The person dies. Mm -hmm. They're outside of their body. They are met by some kind of guide or guides. Person, animals, something that guides guides them away from their body a cycle pump yes these guides are not necessarily pleasant they're not unpleasant but they're not pleasant they're just yeah they're doing their duty right, which the is to, to guide you exactly yeah. so they grab you and you walk for a considerable distance until you reach a desk the being sitting behind the desk has a giant book and a pen and they look up and they talk to the guides and they say, like, who the fuck is this? I told you to bring John the gardener, not John the plumber. Send him back. And then when the guides realize their mistakes, they turn the person around, walk them back to where their body was, and uh, the person regains consciousness. Hmm. That's insanely detailed for them to all generally follow that exact same storyline. You know, because the, yeah. the Christian ones are like, some people follow a light. Some people go through a tunnel. Some people are like floating upwards for it to like, you know. Yeah, but they're it's, all more slightly different. it's more of a journey. for. Yes. Whereas this one is guides grab you. You walk an uncomfortable distance to a person behind no, no, a desk. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like in, in the Hindu versions, it's more of a journey where yes. like you're, it's like a, an experience that's more lengthy and like an actual Point A to point B type thing. Right. Right. It's just, that's crazy to me. Those specific details all kind of seem to align. I mean, obviously there's variations in the story because everybody experiences something different. But that's the general storyline. Essentially, it's just a case of mistaken identity. Almost none of the Hindu NDEs that I read reported tunnels or white lights or like an out-of-body experience where they watch doctors work on their bodies. Mm -hmm. It's just people come up, grab them, and they start walking. There's a lot of experiences where they meet religious deities and loved ones as well. Sure. But those aren't like the norm. You know, the, the norm is generally mistaken identity and leave. Right. Sort of thing. Like, but you don't get to enter the afterlife. You're denied because you're not like Jim the plumber. Sure. Hmm. There are also some accounts of uh, people having reviewed their entire life, but in a different way. Like instead of seeing your life flash before their eyes, the person at the desk reads out their entire life from a giant book, which is fascinating. I, You know what? That is kind of interesting, too, because I don't know if that's necessarily exclusive to this type of culture, because if you think of like old cartoons and stuff, mm -hmm. like where you go to the pearly gates with an angel or something and then. Yeah, they look to see like, what have you done in your yeah, life? Like yeah, like God or one of the saints or something has like a giant scroll or something. It's like, oh, you did this and this, but you also did this. And yes. This. So, I don't, yeah, I, I, 
I guess it's just an interpretation type thing. Yeah. But it's weird that across cultures and religions, you would have essentially the same. There's a dude deciding like this is good and this is bad. Yeah. And you have to stand there and watch him like make his decision. That's it's bizarre to it's like, me. It's like a courtroom or something. Yeah. So I looked for examples of um, NDEs experienced by like Buddhists or like non-theistic religion sure yeah and there's like not many that i could find i'm sure they exist they're just not written out but i found a couple accounts from thailand that kind of like moved back and forth so a couple of these people who consider themselves buddhist had like a more hindu similar experience where they were like guided towards a desk and turned away and then others were taken to like a heaven or hell type western culture sure sort of thing the one thing i did find the fact that i did find is people who have theistic beliefs tend to have more near-death experiences than atheistic or non-theistic beliefs Hmm. which would make sense if if you believe it's all like a thing in your brain if you already believe in a god then that's probably going to influence what you see that's what i was going to ask you like what what does that tell you it's almost like you're already predisposed to experience a near-death experience if you believe in an afterlife yeah like maybe subconsciously you already have an idea of what death is and your brain just kind of like makes it real as you're dying right i don't know but after all this it seems to me that like it's kind of obvious near-death experiences aren't quote-unquote real they're like a vision in your brain influenced by your personal beliefs so i mean it's real like it's, yes it's your experience it's it. not a physical it's you're not physically in heaven you are experiencing it in your own mind right that's that's what it seems like if all of the near-death experiences experienced by everybody were exactly the same would you believe it was was more real like if everybody was grabbed by the same looking guardian, walked towards a desk and the guy said, you know, let me look at my book. Would that be more real to you if, if it was all the exact same experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it would feel more real. But at the same time, if everyone did experience the same exact thing, is it just because our brains are wired that way? So I don't think that's necessarily proof of anything. It's just proof that we're the same species. Interesting. But I don't know. Well, Dr. Long presents the following evidence that near-death experiences are real physical experiences and you are act- your consciousness is actually taken to an afterlife. Here are his proof. One, all of these experiences occur when the person is unconscious, comatose, or clinically dead. Essentially, it shouldn't be possible from a medical perspective to experience any highly lucid experience when you have that type of reduced or even no brain activity. Sure. I mean, you shouldn't you you shouldn't have a consciousness. Your brain should be shut off. You shouldn't be able to experience anything cuz you're dead. But people who have had these experiences, as I said earlier, tend to say that they're more hyper aware than they've ever been. It's not like, you know, you hear voices from far away calling towards you this is an extremely real to you experience now of course i science has not gotten to the point where it can actually see into someone's consciousness i mean right and i don't know if that would ever be possible but I, i was just going to say uh that's definitely a good point where if you're having no measurable brain activity but you're having these hyper aware experiences and you're able to report them after the fact that may be proof of some sort of actual afterlife that Mm -hmm. you potentially visited but at the same time what if it's just we don't have the ability to measure certain brain waves where you're on the brink of death right that's what i was saying like maybe it's just science hasn't caught up to i don't know measurements needed um but To back this up, Dr. Long mentions near-death experiences often happen in association with heart attacks, which, I mean, makes sense. Your heart stops, brain activity ceases. Studies find that for about 10 to 20 seconds after your heart attack, there is no significant measurable brain electrical activity. 
So what is it in your brain that's experiencing this NDE if your brain has been completely shut off as far as we know? Again, like we said, your brain may not actually be shut off. We just have not ex- gotten the technology well, to to see. Right. So I, I mean, kind of like a, an allegory for this or like at least something that's similar if you like go into a room and the light bulb has been on for a really long time and then you turn off the switch, which is the same thing as a heart attack, stopping mm-hmm. blood flow slash electricity to the source or to the object, um, it's still warm for a little bit and like it may even have a faint glow. So I guess maybe the same applies where your brain it no longer has blood and oxygen moving to it, but it doesn't instantly die. Mm-hmm. There's still blood and oxygen in the brain for a brief amount of time. Right. So maybe that's the experience that's happening. Right, 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 right. So that's just one of his points. His second point is the the concept of an out-of-body experience. There are tons of examples of NDEs where the person has reported floating out of their body and watching doctors work on them. But when they regain consciousness, the experiencer has been able to accurately describe in extreme detail things that they should know nothing about, like um, conversations surgeons had in the middle of an operation or the, the color of a certain tool that may have been used during a procedure. Like it, a lot of times... It, there's likely a curtain up in front of your face or something like you're not going to even have physical access to see the tools, but people have been able to accurately describe things that they should not have been able to see. You could say that again, the person must have had some state of consciousness and maybe in their heads, they were interpreting what they were hearing. Right. Just like a coma patient. Sometimes. Right. And that's things. That's possible. But again, the people who have experienced NDEs are verifiably clinically comatose. Again, their brains have been shut off. So it's it's weird because they've been able to describe events that have happened away from their bodies, like things they've seen family members do during their procedure. Mm. Like they are physically in their operating room dead and they're able to say, you know, my mom said this at this exact moment in time and it's actually happened. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like, there's no way to, like, say this is just your brain activity because this is a little bit more supernatural. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can you explain that? Right. His third point is that a lot of NDEs occur under anesthesia. So from the way the brain acts under anesthesia, a person shouldn't be able to form organized memories. Creations of memories technically should not be possible just from the way your brain shuts down under anesthesia. So how can people remember these events? Even if you've experienced them, how is it that your brain is able to remember it? Right. Again, I didn't research much in anesthesia. I I don't know. There's plenty of different kinds of anesthesia. So I I don't know how certain ones affect your brain. I don't, I don't know if all of them affect your brain the same way and right. that it shuts off. But, but I, I suppose like it's at least a similar enough experience where you're being, you know, put into like a subconscious state of mind where like you're not fully dead, but you can't, mm-hmm. you know, obviously. yeah, it's, it's similar enough, I think. Right. His fourth point is that he points out it's extremely rare for somebody to encounter a living person during a near-death experience. Like, you almost always see family members who have previously died. You don't see, like, your living best friend in heaven. Um, And a lot of people claim to have seen family members that they've never met and are able to describe people they've never met. Or people who have died like way, way, way before they were born. But you said that this person says it's extremely rare to see a living person. So that means there are circumstances where you come across someone that's alive? I would assume so, yeah. I mean, there's no way he could possibly say this never happens because every experience is different. I'm sure in the thousands of stories he's come across, people have seen living. Right. 
relatives. But the fact he's using the law averages. Right. Know. It's just an interesting wording is what I mean. Yeah. Like it's, it, it points to there being living people that some people have encountered. Mm-hmm. Which, which would point to me as being just brain activity then. True. Because you're thinking about a live person. Let, let me say this, though, before you move on. Um, I mentioned psychopomps earlier. Mm-hmm. And a psychopomp could be a lot of things. It could be like, you know, an angel bringing you to the gates. It could be Sharon or Sharon or whatever in Hades that has to take your coins to go over river sticks mm-hmm. to Hades. But there are a lot of people that do practice death magic and i've learned a little bit about this too and there are living people that call themselves psychopomps and they try to guide spirits to an afterlife interesting so is that the the exception where they're encountering people that are living assisting them it entirely could be i didn't read any of them right i'm just i'm just making the point though because that doctor or researcher whatever said that it's yeah. not exclusively dead people. Right. Yeah. And that's that's just a weird concept in general. The fact that somebody who's alive is guiding someone to an afterlife that they've never been to. Weird. It's because people like, you know, just like how people believe in like, you know, a Christian believes in their God or a Hindu person might believe like they, they might venerate Vishnu over Krishna. Like they have to pick one that they like choose. Mm-hmm. There are people that choose like they worship. Hades from Greek mythology or hell from North mythology, Norse mythology. Right. Um, so yeah. Oh, interesting. His final point And my final point is that even very young children have experienced an NDE. And this is the, the point that I find most convincing, I think because very young children, I'm talking like, two, three, four, mm-hmm. they don't have established religious beliefs. Right. I mean, like when I was little, the only thing that I paid attention to was like whatever was happening directly in front of me. I mean, my m- parents took me to church, you know, like they raised me in a Catholic household. But like I, it, the concept of sin and heaven and hell, that didn't mean anything to yeah, me. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of abstract thought. In a toddler. Right. In studies performed, the content of a near-death experience in people five years old and younger was the exact same as an NDE experienced by a much, much older person. Even Mm. kids that haven't, like, they're not able to talk yet have later described, like, extremely complex experiences that you wouldn't think a three, four, five-year-old would, like, remember or even begin to comprehend or understand. Right. you know, so again, that could point towards your original thing is genetics. Maybe that's just part of the human condition. It's just like yeah. a thing that's built into our brains. I don't know. It's definitely possible. The, the only thing that like points to it not being that is the people that tell doctors or whatever what happened while they were unconscious, like mm-hmm. or yes. like in a separate room. Yes, it's, and there are plenty of stories of that. There's like, there's a few famous stories that I didn't even bring up because it would have, this is already a really long episode, but. It's just interesting to think about like what, what other thing other than being out of your body could possibly explain. Seeing something. You saw something in another room. And that is corroborated. Right. By the people it happened to. Yeah. It's, that's crazy to me. It's insane. And if that's, if that, is the case, then is everything else that they said trustworthy as well? A lot of people in, an, in a near-death experience, you know, they go visit their loved ones one last time before they move on to the final right. afterlife. So is what they saw in the afterlife real as well? I mean, it, does heaven exist? What is If it does, what does that mean? Does that mean there is a hell? Should I be going to church on Sundays? Which God is right? I don't know. It's just the whole thing keeps me up at night. I just, it's such a fascinating topic, but I didn't even get started on past lives. That might be another episode. Yeah, I'm less keen on believing past lives over near-death experiences. I will say that. There, I agree with you for the most part. 
But there have been some cases of children who are able to completely, accurately, in detail describe the lives of somebody they've never met. And they're like convinced that they are the reincarnation of that person. It's insane. But that's a completely different episode that we'll get to later, I'm sure. <laughs> Anyways, I don't want to bore people I, to death. Yeah, I guess I don't know what to believe because it's like, I, for the most part, I think it's just something that your brain does to comfort you when you're about to die. But there's so many. But, right. At the same time, there's a lot of like exceptions to that where it seems like that might not be the case. So right. I don't know. And the fact that people tend to experience the same things. I mean, you could say, well, they've probably heard other people talk about it before. And so that's influenced their. Let me say this. Story, if if anyone listening to this has had a near death experience and is comfortable with sharing it. Yes, please. Definitely send us some info about that. Um, and if you want to just share it with us and you would prefer us not to read about it on the podcast, you can you know, do that, too. I, I'm honestly interested in like a I would personal love. experience. Yes, I would love because, I mean, there are stories all over the place. Celebrities have told them, you know, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who's had an NDE, I feel like. Yeah, not me. I'm sure you'd be I'll surprised. I'll just have to experience my own someday. I mean, I hope not. <laughs> okay. Like I said, if you have an experience, whether it be a near-death experience or anything else that's a little spooky that you want to share with us, send it over to us. But for today, I have a new story. Okay. And I've been hiding this from Colleen because I wanted to share it with everyone. Okay. This comes from the register. Human resettlement after 2011's nuclear disaster facing opposition from an indestructible, betusked interloper. What? Do you remember in 2011 the nuclear disaster in Fukushima? Yes, vividly. There's a lot of inhabitable, inhabitable zones right now. But there's little, like, border areas where there is still radiation, but it's may be safe to live there. So they're kind of trying to mm -hmm. resettle some of the areas. And especially in Japan, where there's a very high population. Sure. It's important to space. get as much land and space as possible. So radioactive hybrid terror pigs have made themselves a home <laughs> in Fukushima's exclusion zone. Hybrid? Yes. Scientists have uncovered a new threat to humanity emerging in the areas surrounding the former Fukushima nuclear power plant indestructible radioactive hybrid terror pigs. Hybrid with what? The details emerge from studies of how radiation from the partial nuclear meltdown at the plant in 2011 had affected local wildlife, which has in many cases rewilded urban areas vacated years ago by populations forced to move out by the threat of the radiation. This is a familiar process following large-scale human evacuations and similar rewilding situations occurred in the areas surrounding the site of the Chernobyl incident in mm -hmm. 1986, despite the efforts of the Soviet authorities to control the animal population. However, the scientists were not prepared for the true prospect that awaited them, as related in a report by the Proceedings of the Royal Society B Journal. The local wild boar, a subspecies endemic to the region known as the Japanese boar, having created a fiefdom covering all of the locale vacated by over 160,000 displaced humans, and they've become cocky and aggressive and have lost their true natural wariness. <laughs> okay. The marauding boar also began interbreeding with escaped domestic pigs that had made good with their trotters from local farms after their human keepers had been forced to flee. The pigs, for their parts, were ill-suited to life in the wild in a radioactive post-apocalyptic hellscape <laughs> and presumably threw in their lot with the tough, wily boar as their best chance of survival. The you say that like they actually thought it out. No, right, but this is just what happened. So the result was a new kind of boar-pig hybrid that originated in the initial exclusion zone within 20 kilometers of the site of the nuclear plant where radiation levels were presumably highest. The study found that the hybrids did not display any signs of mutation, despite the doses of radiation that they were subjected to. 
Indeed, surveys of the local boar population found that they're contaminated up to 300 times the safe human dosage of a lethal isotope KCM-137. I don't even know what that is. But in other words, they are highly radioactive and seemingly virtually indestructible. <laughs> That's so cool. These hybrids now compromise up to 10% of the local population, evidently combining the wild smarts of their boar ancestors with an enjoyment of the finer things which human civilization can bring, inherited from the domestic pigs. This is presumably why humans attempting to reclaim their former settlements in the area around Fukushima have found it very difficult to dislodge the interlopers from their recent taken strongholds. The Fukushima exclusion zones have been gradually lifted in stages since the incident to allow former residents to return. In some of these cases, the aggressive porkers have <laughs> refused to give ground and have attacked returning humans, meaning human authorities have been forced to deploy armed assassination teams <laughs> to flush them out. Oh, so man. basically, these pigs, you have to kill them by shooting them. There's no way to, like, get them out like you could with a pig, like, just, like, you know, scaring it away or just, like, you know, using some sort of, like, system where you kind of migrate them just, from one area to another. It reminds me of Shaun of the Dead. It pretty it's much like, is. you must remove their heads or damage their brains. And the thing is, and this article goes on for a long time, but at the end it says, if these hybrid terror pigs <laughs> had the ability to actually congregate together and attack en masse, there's no way we could stop them unless we bombed them. Jesus, we have murder hornets, now we have terror pigs. They're, I don't think we're supposed to be on this planet anymore. It's, it's like honestly a comic book waiting to be written. I like, was just going to say, it's kind of like proof that a radioactive spider bite could give you superpowers. Yeah. It's it's weird that they're not ex like displaying actual signs of mutation either. They've just like, the the nuclear radiation has just added to their DNA, along I, with I, the hybridization of wild boars and domesticated pigs. Animal Farm is going to be real. It's weird shit. It's, oh, geez. That's horrifying and hilarious. I'm glad it's, it's very in Japan weird. and not around my house. Well, and the thing is, like, they only hang around the radiated areas. So I'm wondering if they leave the radiated areas. Like, will that cause them shock because they've so become so accustomed to that, like, environment? Or will they be stronger with lower levels of radiation around them? Superman style. Yeah, it's like a Superman thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, what is it? The kryptonite? Yeah. Aggressive porker. The <laughs> tales of the aggressive porker out I, Saturday. If we have any updates, an episode. if we have any updates of these pigs in the future, I'll definitely bring them back. I would but. love to see a picture of one. All right. Well, if you've spotted an aggressive porker of that nature, or you have other stories you want to tell us, you got episode requests, you can let us know. Yeah. Send it to our social media if you would like. You can send it to Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. All are at NerdslothHQ. Or email us at podcast at nerdsloth.com. Pull a little spooky in the subject line. Send us pictures, send us stories, whatever you want. We love it. And check out our website, nerdsloth.com, with links to our merch. If you would like to support us or any of our other podcasts on Nerdsloth, definitely consider doing so. Yeah. And you know what? Stay out of situations that might almost kill you and bring you back to life. And definitely don't go into exclusion zones caused by a nuclear disaster. What do you think would happen if we ate one of them aggressive porkers? That reminds me, there was a recent <laughs> cider made, a hard cider made from the apples that are growing in the exclusion zone of the Chernobyl site. And they were going to be sold in the UK, but then maybe, I, I can't remember if I even read this on the podcast or not. I feel like I may have, but um, Ukrainian slash probably Russian authorities confiscated it. Huh. I want to eat an aggressive porker with radioactive apple in its mouth. While washing it down with a hard cider made from radiated apples? Yeah. Anyways, wow, that is way off topic. Uh, we Shinigami hope you love apples. We hope, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, let us know. And we love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Presented by NerdSloth, a place for lazy nerds. If you like what you heard, consider donating at patreon.com slash nerdsloth so we can continue bringing you quality shows. Be sure to also leave us a review and share your favorite episodes and clips on social media. If you're looking for more content, visit us at nerdsloth.com.